episode of Happy Hour Heroes! Welcome back. It's been an entire 30 days. Woo! Don't know how you guys make it without us. It's probably really difficult. Yeah, they probably. I, I think the answer, judging by the state of the world, is that they don't. Uh, <laughs> let's not talk about the state of the world. I'm sorry. I saw Debbie the jo- Downer. I saw the joke and I went for it. What are we drinking tonight? Uh, well, first of all, who are you? Uh, Stranger. I'm Harlan Ellison. Oh, that's Lord. how he sounds. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that later. Put the, put a pin in that one, guys. I'm Dylan. Hi, Dylan. Hi. I'm Echo. Hi, Echo. Very nice to meet you. <laughs> For the first time For the first ever time ever on, on this, this show. Spontaneous spon- podcast. The spontaneous podcast. Perdcursed. That's been going on for like uh, 10 episodes or something like that. I think this, really? is, I think no, this, this is this like is our ninth. Nine. This is our ninth or tenth. Nine. It might be our tenth. No way. There's no way for us to look it up. So no. let's just agree to, be, to disagree. I say it's nine. I say it's ten. Okay. We'll see yeah. who's Vamp right. while I look it up. No. No, 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 no. Oh. It'll just be a thing that happens. Okay. Like, we'll find out when I post it what episode it is. Got it. Yeah. I like this plan. <laughs> so, uh, this is a podcast where we drink, mm-hmm. and we talk about what we're drinking, and then we talk some more. Yeah. And you enjoy it. Yes. That's that's how this dynamic that's works. This, the, yep. That's, that's the, the agreement. Dyna- that is the... You press play, and you are entertained. And you're stuck now. We've locked, <laughs> we've locked your listening device, whatever it is, computer, phone, uh... Zune, all of them have been locked down, and you are now forced to listen to the entire run of these episodes. Any headphones or earbuds are now... uh, Fused to your ears. until the episode is done. You're welcome. Yay! Please donate to our Patreon so we can continue to (laughs) increase our capabilities of forcing you to listen to our media. Um... So on that note, what are you drinking? I'm drinking an old-fashioned. Okay. It's my favorite drink. Because you're old-fashioned. I am, kind of. Kind of. In certain in certain respects, yeah. I drink like an old man. Yeah, yeah. You also carry a handkerchief like an old man. Yeah, because it's fucking useful. Those old bastards have like one thing right, okay? <laughs> old stupid white clocks—they're right occasionally, not twice a day, because you know they're not that 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 regular. But sometimes they know what they're talking about. <laughs> Handkerchiefs are great, you guys. You save so much money they're on Kleenex. So gross. Not if you like fold them up correctly and wash them Ew. regularly. Just get like but five. But you don't. Okay, well, you didn't have to attack me that way. <laughs> it's having a polite conversation here. Oh. And then you come out here like this. It makes me feel very defensive. Well, maybe now that I called you out, you'll wash your damn handkerchief. Not likely. <laughs> Gross. Germs are good for you. Build up immunities. Ugh. Yep. Uh, you are drinking a daiquiri. I am. Yes, we've had these drinks before on the podcast, but they are. I real. I think tried I tried and true. Yes, and I, I think I realized today that these are these are like above all the other ones, my fa- two favorite cocktails in the world. You've actually uh, no, sorry, that's the Manhattan. Manhattan is a good one though. Manhattan is that's the one like that a, you recently got me hooked on. Yeah, that's like a close close number two yeah. runner up. Um, yeah, so the old fashioned, um, just to go over it again real quick, is simple syrup. Which uh, I like rich simple syrup, which is uh, equal parts sugar and water. You dissolve the sugar, uh, and then that thick, delightful, sweet liquid that's left over uh, goes into the drink. And then you eat the rich. Yeah. Yes, you do eat the rich. (laughs) Pregnant pause. Yes. Added to that... Simple syrup, about a teaspoon is good, but you know, it doesn't really matter. The great thing about the old fashioned is that it doesn't really have a recipe. Um, It's just these ingredients in some combination of each other. Uh, So simple syrup. It's a matter of personal preference. Yeah, really. 
Um, so I like to use about a teaspoon or maybe like half an ounce of the uh, syrup, and then I cut it with a little bit of water so it doesn't like um, thicken up the drink too much. Mm -hmm. Then a dash or two of bitters. Uh, just the Angostura aromatic is good. Okay. And then I... Uh, Usually, most recipe books will will tell you to add um, two ounces of, of whiskey. Uh, typically bourbon, if you're super American, but it, honestly, any whiskey will do. Um, and then you garnish that with a, a twist of orange. And you have not only uh, one of the best cocktails, but also uh, probably the first. A fruit fly. Oh, shit. Dove into my drink. Well, they're they're around. Yeah. It's that season. Well, it came out so I can finish my drink. Yeah. There I may have others. consumed at least line. one. Oh, that's good fiber. Yeah. Uh, so the daiquiri uh, is a slightly different one, probably honestly younger than even the old-fashioned. I said that the fashioned is the oldest one. The, the old-fashioned is the first uh, drink that is regarded as a cocktail. Like... Yeah, all like all of the earliest. A mixture of different boozes yes, and things. Exactly. Uh, the daiquiri, though, um, was probably around earlier, just as a mixture. Um, it evolved out of the Caribbean, where uh, sugar cane was being grown, and then uh, scurvy was being fought by. Whoop, got a little party foul. Uh, scurvy was being fought by uh, merchants and conquistadors and co and col colonialists. Um, on their way back from, you know, subjugating and murdering uh, millions of Native Americans, they would uh, mix some sugar with some lime juice, or honestly, they just cut up limes and mashed them into a bowl, and then poured some rum over that and drank it. Yep. And that's how you didn't get scurvy on uh, sugar boats. <laughs> uh, it was usually served in the form of a punch, just like a giant bowl, mm -hmm. and you got your cup of grog, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and then some really intelligent person added tea to that, and that became the planter's punch. And then they took the tea out and refined the recipe a little bit, and we got the daiquiri, which is one of the finest, simplest drinks uh, ever. And delicious. And extremely delicious. So, uh, Echo, I normally talk for most of these episodes. Yeah, Why don't you, you, do. you should start us off. What do you want to talk about? Well, um... Oh, shit. What? I was going to talk about my Netrunner thing. It's a fast story. <laughs> always do that i do dylan dylan do you realize yep. just about every I really time i open my mouth you do. interrupt me yes I'm sorry. you are interrupting cow echo if i could just maybe i'm so no, sorry you don't get to are talk you... about netrunner May... oh, fuck. You, so... you missed your chance you uh you gave away your shot you I missed threw... wait i threw away my shot yeah but Hamilton said not to do that. Well, you didn't listen to Hamilton, Fuck. and your shot done got thrown. Okay, well, I'll just <laughs> crawl into my glass. <laughs> so I've been reading some Murakami. Uh, Specifically Haruki Murakami. Of the uh, New, New Hampshire, Hampshire Murakamis. Murakamis. <laughs> I also know that joke. Okay. <laughs> what have you been reading? Um... What's the name of this book? This book is The Elephant Vanishes, but it's actually a collection of sh short, short st stories. Excellent. I love, yes. I love short stories. And um, I love reading Murakami. He just creates these little bits of magic out of incredibly mundane mm -hmm. people and places. And it's just so bizarre. Like, I can't figure out how he does it, but it's so compelling to read. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah i've never read anything by murakami i keep trying i keep meaning to and it just like other stuff gets in my way would you like me to read you a little something i would love you to yeah just a quick excerpt something that uh we can't be attacked for copyright infringement on well okay if that's how you feel we do not own this book in any part it is all owned by haruki murakami Thank you, sir, for allowing us to... Haruki Murakami. Sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry, uh, Murakami-san. Okay. I'm going to the... read a little bit. Yeah, what is the name of this story? This is called... Uh, the title's on the page before. The Second Bakery Attack. Hmm. Um, so it's a sequel. The sequel. God, I just wish for some new IP sometimes. <laughs> I'm still not sure I made the right choice when I told my wife about the bakery attack. But then, it might not have been a question of right and wrong. Which is to say that wrong choices can produce right results, and vice versa. I myself have adopted the position that, in fact, we never choose anything at all. Things happen, or not. If you look at it this way, it just so happens that I told my wife about the bakery attack. I hadn't been planning on br bringing it up. I had forgotten all about it, but it wasn't one of those now-that-you-mention-it kind of things either. What reminded me of the bakery attack was an unbearable hunger. It hit just before two o'clock in the morning. We had eaten a light supper at six, crawled into bed at 9.30, and gone to sleep. For some reason, we both woke up at exactly the same moment. A few minutes later, the pangs struck with the force of a tornado in, Wizard in The Wizard of Oz. These were tremendous, overpowering hunger pangs. Our refrigerator contained not a single item that could be technically categorized as food. We had a bottle of French dressing, six cans of beer, two shriveled onions, a stick of butter, and a box of refrigerator deodorizer. With only two weeks of uh, our married life behind us, we had yet to establish a precise conjugal understanding with regard to the rules of dietary behavior, let alone anything else. I had a job in a law firm at the time, and she was doing secretarial work at a design school. I was either 28 or 29, why can't I remember the exact year we married? And she was two years and eight months younger. Groceries were the last things on our minds. We both felt too hungry to go back to sleep, but it hurt to just lie there. On the other hand, we were too hungry to do anything useful. We got out of bed and drifted into the kitchen, ending up across the table from each other. What could have caused such violent hunger pangs? We took turns opening the refrigerator door and hoping, but no matter how many times we looked inside, the contents never changed. Beer and onions and butter and dressing and deodorizer. It might have been possible to saute the onions in butter, but there was no chance those two shriveled onions could fill our empty stomachs. Onions are meant to be eaten with other things. They are not the kind of food you use to satisfy an appetite. I think I'll leave it there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very um, detailed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, question for you. Yes. How long did it take you to read that story? Mm, I don't know. Maybe half an hour. Okay. So no, it's, it's, not it's, even. it's pretty short. It's a pretty short story, as you can see. Yeah. But, like, I had to can break it up into chunks. Can you guys see Echo? Show them again real quick. Yeah. Just so that... Oh yeah, get the get that page flipping goodness. Uh, yeah. So sorry, I interrupted you. 
Of course. Yeah. Um, it's my thing. I know. I you guess. interrupt me. Uh, you don't listen to these shows as much as I do. <laughs> I've never contradicted you about that. I always apologize. Um, but yeah, probably 20 to 30 minutes because hmm. I know I, I would have to put it down, like, depending on bus rides and oh, whatnot. Yeah. So. The uh, the reason that I ask is that uh, Haruki Murakami also writes novels. Oh, yes. Uh, if any of you have heard of IQ84, that's kind of, it's one of the works that he's best known for. And it's over a thousand pages? It's big. Yeah. Uh, our roommate um, actually managed to get through the audiobook, which I am in awe of that because that's difficult. Um, like reading a thousand pages of anything sort of daunts me. But uh, they did it. Um, yeah, and, like, uh, I remember, like, I heard about uh, Murakami from a, a YouTuber that I watch who talks mm-hmm. usually talks about D&D. But they were sort of doing a Q&A thing, and someone asked about books. And uh, he talked about Murakami, and he described, uh, like, the opening scene of, I think it's IQ84. Mm-hmm. And it des- he describes this woman who's uh, taking a taxi home. Uh, from work one day and there she gets caught in this traffic jam and it's just this fucking intractable thing like it just goes forever there's no end in sight she's sitting on a bridge on a freeway bridge for hours uh the sun is starting to go down and they finally like progress to the point where she kind of looks over to the side of the freeway and she sees essentially like an access gate you know just like a chain link gate that you can open and get off the freeway on Mm -hmm. foot uh, and she pays her cab driver, and she's like, "Look, I'm just gonna go. Here's here's what I owe you. I'm just gonna like make, get your get yourself home, essentially." Yeah. Um, and as she's getting out of the cab, the uh, taxi driver sort of gives her this kind of look, like almost a nervous look, and says, "Remember, there's only one reality." And she's like, "What?" But gets out of the cab because she's got to get home. Yeah. Um, and she goes through the gate. Walks down the steps and uh, gets home. She she eventually manages to get home under her own power, you know, using whatever means. And when she's home, she's sit, standing on her balcony, just like relaxing. Finally, after that god awful traffic jam, just enjoying sort of the night sky of uh, of Japan, uh, looking up into the sky at the two moons in the sky, the white one and the green one. And she looks at those and she thinks. That's, Wait a minute. That's not right, is it? <laughs> but she can't. And so the, the this book, like I said, it's well over a thousand pages long. It might be closer to 2000, honestly. Uh, I think uh, the original publication broke it up into multiple volumes. But a large portion of this book is this woman um, trying to figure out what's going on. But she can't just go to people she knows because there are like she she goes to work. And she knows the people at work, and she still has her job at work. There's just two moons in the sky. Yeah. And she's trying to very subtly ask other people, have there always been two moons? Because you can't ask someone if another moon appeared in the sky. You'll sound like a crazy person. So she's trying to thread that needle. And then there's a lot, a lot, a lot of other stuff happening in that book. But that Mm -hmm. was the thing that kind of hooked me on Murakami. And and one day, hopefully, I will actually read uh, something by them. Yeah. So that's what... Yeah. So... What's up? What's up? Yeah. I'm not going to keep talking. I want you to contribute (laughs) a little bit now. (laughs) Oh, I thought of something. 
You know what? Why don't you no, go ahead? No, I will talk. not. Please. Nope, I'm gonna. I'm gonna remain silent. Echo, I'm gonna remain silent too. So there's gonna be 45 minutes of dead air. Well, it's been a good run, y'all. Enjoy the following 45 minutes of silence just to prove a point. Echo, please don't do this to our audience. It's not fair to them. <laughs> please don't. <laughs> please, please get us out of this quagmire that I bring us into every episode. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. <clears throat> No, I mean, that's mostly what I've been trying to mm-hmm. read when I, I have some downtime. If we want other book recommendations, I can definitely do that. Sure, yeah. Because I always, always, always uh, bring up The Fox Woman Yeah. by Keej Johnson. That's, that's another thing you've read K-I-J. to me. Oh, my God. The way this person writes, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It uh, just... It's one of those books that when you put it down, you kind of have to shake you your head and like come back. come out of the world Lugar- that has luxuriate been woven around. In it. Yeah, it's just like you get so engrossed in it, it's hard to return to your own world after yeah. reading that. Yeah, you you. This is also an, another book that I started but never finished, and you read some of it to me because mm-hmm. uh, we like reading to each other. It's fun. Ew. Yeah, um, and. I remember, like, thinking back to it, we only got through, like, a chapter or two. Yeah. Um, but I remember there, maybe it was just how you were reading or, but I'd, I'd like to kind of, I guess, the book itself. There was kind of a sensualness to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All over the pages. Yeah. It's just, like, this like very. Like, you pick it up and it's dripping. Yeah. Which is not to say it's, like, erotica or anything no, like no. that. No, no. It has it has its own story, but it's very, um, yeah, it's just very intimate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, every chapter is from a different person's perspective, and it is very much like it, I think it literally is their diaries. Mm -hmm. So it is very much their innermost thoughts and feelings, and um, yeah, and it's just beautifully written. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a book that I would get from the library over and over. And funny story, actually. Uh, I went to the library and I was like, I want to read that book again. Yeah. And it had been at least a year or more. Mm-hmm. My bookmark was still in that book what? from the last time I took it out. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, holy crap. Am That's... I the only person that reads this? I love that. <laughs> That's great. It wouldn't surprise me, though, because I was in Gainesville, Florida. So. Mm, yeah. What's the population of Gainesville, Florida? It's actually... Probably sizable because okay. it's a college town. Mm. So it's sizable for half the year. Well, it's UF, so there's a lot of research and stuff that happens, too. Mm. I'm going to look up the population of Gainesville, Florida. Oh, it has a serial killer. He's oh. called the Gainesville Ripper. Oh, yeah. That happened a long time ago. Cool. No bigs. Wikipedia. Just uh, someone going through the dorms. Um. It's actually really terrible. Okay. It is a it is a component of the. Oh, that's not good. Uh, the population of Gainesville in the 2013 U.S. Census estimates uh, at 127,488. A 2.4 growth percent from 2010. Oh, so yeah. exciting! Very exciting. Moving up in the world. Yeah. Pretty soon they'll be like Seattle. No. Never. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
I caused trauma there. That was yeah. my fault. Um, I have been reading. Would you like to know? Yeah, go ahead. Tell me. I have been reading. Okay. So anyway. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> this is how it feels. It is. Oh no. Hi, Dylan. Hi. Hi. I feel bad now. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I have been shown a mirror, and I do not like the face I see. <laughs> I'm looking at the mirror. The mirror. <laughs> Harlan Ellison is the name of the author. That's a hell of a hard segue. Uh, but yeah, Harlan Ellison, uh, he's um, an extremely prolific writer of the last 50 years. Okay. Uh, he wrote a lot for uh, television, and he wrote um, he wrote a few novels, but uh, mostly he wrote short stories, mm-hmm. and that was sort of his form. And uh, he passed away recently, um, which is kind of why I, what, what inspired me to read him. And uh, yeah, it's very fascinating, because I was also learning about the guy who Harlan Ellison was not... Um, well, he was a con- he was I, he was described in a an obituary by another author as the person who's like you would describe him as by saying, okay, he's a great man, but but yeah, he's done. He was not always super great. <laughs> <laughs> he was not so he so he's like Voldemort. He no great and terrible things. No, just kind of gross and creepy. He uh, like had a t- Voldemort. Voldemort was just like out and out evil, though. Yeah. Like Voldemort never tried to marry nineteen-year-old girls when he was forty. How do you know? How do you not know? <laughs> <laughs> it's not mentioned in the books. Dear J.K. Rowling, please write another. Oh wait, no, you just write the fan fiction. I'm yeah. sure in, there's some oh, fan fiction. No, where I don't want to write that fan fiction. Ew. It's okay. It's already been Ew. done. Mm -hmm. Anywho, Harlan Ellison, controversial person. Controversial? Yes, that's the word now. Okay. Good. Glad we are, glad we understand that. (laughs) Uh, So he wrote a... uh, A book. He wrote a lot of books and a lot of short story collections. And I picked one up because the story of his that uh, that I was aware of was called I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. Mm-hmm. And oh, human centipede. Kind of, like kind of though. <laughs> it's very it's it's a story about torture. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a story about uh, five people. And th- again, this story took me like an hour to read. Um, it might actually be shorter than the Murakami story that you were reading, but I'm probably a slower reader than you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's about five people who are trapped in these uh, never-ending tunnels beneath the earth, and they are kept alive. Uh, for the amusement of, I don't know if insane is the right word, but an evil artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. A computer program that has uh, already destroyed all human life on Earth, except for these five people who it keeps alive to torture uh, constantly. Story begins and you learn that they are over 100 years old. Would you say that uh, this is like a romantic comedy? Yeah, it's very funny. Very dry wit. <laughs> Um, yeah, it, well, it, it kills them, but like it, 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 it departs from reality maybe a little bit, or at the very least it doesn't describe how th- everything happens in the right. story. It's not a, really about that. It's about the, the characters and what they're going through and the, and the horror of, of their existence. So it's able to kill, like the, the AI is called am, am, because apparently it's first like sentient words were, I think therefore I am. And, um, 
Yeah, it has the ability to kill these people and bring them back. Mm -hmm. So it just does whatever it wants. Like, it's it's physically changed them. It has mentally changed them. Um, with the exception of the uh, point of view character, none of them are who they were when they came into the into these tunnels when it when it captured them. Uh, you learn the history of Am. You learn all the horrible, horrific, like all the like just sadistic tortures that it does, and it almost never talks to you or it talks to them. At one point, uh, we get only one passage of dialogue in the story. Um, that is A.M. or Am speaking to a character. And I'm going to read that for you now. Yay. Hate. Let me tell you how much I've come to hate you since I began to live. There are 387.44 million miles of printed circuits in wafer-thin layers that fill my complex. In the world, in, If the word hate was engraved on each nano... I, Nana Angstrom of those hundreds of millions of miles, it would not equal one one billionth of the hate that I feel for humans at this micro instant for you. Hate. Hate. It's a very uplifting oh, passage. Oh, yeah, it's good, yeah. It's a great story. I feel so rejuvenated uh -huh. deep in my soul. Yeah, well, I'm glad that, like, maybe you'll have to read some other Murakami thing as a palate cleanser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm all like, whimsy, weird things, and you're like, hatred. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's not a happy story, and it doesn't really have a happy ending. Well, I can't imagine that something like that would. Yeah. Um. So... Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what I've been reading a little bit. I got through it pretty quickly, uh, but yeah, Harlan, Harlan Ellison, he's got a lot of if in, if anyone uh, things that he needs to work out. Well, he's dead now, so that's fine. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, he did, but um, yeah, no, he's he's good now, ish, <laughs> I guess. Anyway, <laughs> um, if you. So after I uh, heard that he died, I was really sad because yeah. I'm, you know, I'm a writer and, or I try to be a writer and uh, I, I love, you know, reading and the stories from, that we get from other people. Mm -hmm. And it's been a tough, tough last few years for, for writers. Cause I know it was a while ago, but back when I was in college, uh, the first author I remember dying was uh, Ray Bradbury. Mm-hmm. Um, who wrote a lot of stories that I love, even though he himself was kind of a racist, um, which we didn't really learn until some of his letters were published after his death, which is really sad. But uh, I don't, I don't know. I haven't really readjusted my views of that yet. Um, racism? Well, of his racism and how it like affects his stories. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to try and justify him now, but yeah, it was, it was real. And it's something that, you know, we have to come to terms with because he was a beloved author. Um, up, up until the moment he died and these like it turns out that he was kind of a jerk yep yeah anyway uh bradbury died and that hit me really hard uh and then in 2016 we lost a lot of people a lot of beloved awesome celebrities including harper lee who wrote it to kill a mockingbird um and then in 2017 i think ursula k Le Guin died or was that 2018 i honestly don't remember now but she died, and that was another gut punch, because she was an angel. Like, she was an amazing human being, and completely um, unapologetic about it. 
she wrote The Left Hand of Darkness, which is a really interesting science fiction view of gender. Okay. It looks You look like you have something you wanted to say. No, no. Go ahead. Uh, she wrote the Earthsea novels. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, it's more than a trilogy now. It's a saga. Yeah. She's one that I've been wanting to get into. Mm-hmm. And everyone should. Like, read about Ray Bradbury and decide for yourself whether or not you want to read uh, Fahrenheit 451 or any of his other well-known books. But read Ursula K. Le Guin because it will improve your life. Yeah. Period. Like, no no bones about it. Um, yeah, she was an anarchist, too. She was just amazing. I love <laughs> Ursula. So I, I miss you. I miss, I miss you, Ursula. We never met, but... We'll pour a sip out for Ursula. Yep. Uh, so then, uh, I heard Harlan Ellison died and it was just like, I don't know why that one in particular hit me so hard. Um, but it did. And I, I read some of his stuff, just like I read some of, uh, Ursula's stuff when she died sort of as a memoriam. I'm really confused. Okay. Are you saying you took all these really hard before you even read anything by them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, why though? Because that's an easy way to describe it. Like, just because I hadn't read anything by them doesn't mean I didn't know who they were. And, like, I knew them by reputation, and I cared about who they were, if that makes sense. If you cared, you didn't. Because I'm lazy. That's the answer to the question you were about to ask. Okay. (laughs) If you want to know why I didn't read anything before they died, it's because I am lazy. Okay. Okay. Did you have an actual question that I didn't interrupt? No, that that was it. Okay. Yeah. It just you have this Okay. Here we go. Penchant for penchant. Like mourning people that you can't even properly say that you're a fan of because you're like, "Well, I know your name and now I'm going to be sad." Um so that to me is just completely foreign. Like well, I don't, yeah. I don't mourn people that I was not personally attached to or have never met. Even. Yeah, that's I so see what th- you mean. Like you being like, I've never even read them, but like their deaths, like really tore me up because like it just it's so foreign to me to process. Like it just makes zero sense. That's because you uh, don't form here. You don't you don't turn celebrities into heroes. No. Yeah, and I, I, that is a habit that I'm trying to overcome. Yeah. Because it hurts a lot. Because they shit just yeah. the same we do. Yeah, but they also aspire to be better than us. and that's Do they, though? A lot of them, I think that Ursula did. Okay. I think that... I think uh, there are a few selected people. And you know what? There are also, they, they might have qualities that you admire. Like, um, I'm not going to talk about Ray Bradbury, and I probably shouldn't use Harlan Ellison as an example either, but... Harlan, and this is what I, I was going to, I was working my way back to talking about him, but he was a writer and he never, like, in spite of all of his controversies, he never stopped, um, what's a, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Like, he didn't stop believing. He held on to that feeling. Yeah. About writing. Uh, he always, he always basically like listening to his interviews, you hear him talk about how, about writing. And it's probably the only thing that he ever really loved. Sure. But, and, and by which I mean, he always identified himself as a writer. 
Yeah. And he ref- he refused to be he refused to let the medium of writing and writing stories um be diminished or denigrated in any way. Okay. And personally for himself, he'd never like how he lived that is he never wanted he never let anyone try and tell him that his work was subpar in any way. If that makes sense. Sure. But I'm not interrupting you. I st- you have your understanding of it, and I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's weird. Yeah, that's fine. I'm not trying to convince you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like famous people are just people that happen to be known by a lot more people. Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree. Um, but in the case of writers, I would say... Um, like... So they wrote books, and yes, like... Those books are important. I'm not taking away from the importance of I'm the saying, literature. I'm not saying you are. It's, you don't... So... So... I'm just saying you're not even a fan, and you're like, oh... Well, just because I haven't read anything by them doesn't mean I'm not a fan. Like, I knew who Urs- Ursula K. Le Guin was before I read anything by her, and before she died. I had heard the name. I had tried to read Left Hand of Darkness a couple of times, but for whatever reason, I just bounced off of it. Maybe because a woman wrote it and nope. you haven't read many women authors? That's not correct at all in that case. No, definitely not. Hard disagree. Hard disagree? Yeah. Okay, Just but like you, Batman. But you have not read a lot of women authors. True. But I don't think that's the reason that I bounced off Left Hand of Darkness. Because I was able to read uh, Tahanu just fine. Which is one of the Earth later, I think it was actually her last Earthsea book. So you just had to, like, grow your monkey brain. Yeah. Sure. And be properly inspired to fucking dig in and read something by her. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> I will under no circumstances say that, because it's, there's definitely, like, I definitely didn't think less of her writing, because... Okay, but then explain to me why you haven't read that many female authors. Um, because I wasn't exposed to them properly. But there are plenty out there, and you could expose... Wait. Let me rephrase I could... that. Nah, I wanna... No! Nope. the Please? No. Nope. Come on. Nope. It's been a while since we you... had a good laugh here. <laughs> no. This podcast has so far not been no. especially funny. Uh, well. No, you may not hit me with your fan. Give me my no. fan. No. I want it. Fine. Thank you. Uh, there are there are plenty of options out there that you could mm-hmm. have chosen. I agree. I, um, yeah. No, I agree. I don't really have a lot of excuses there or qualification. Or anything to add? Can I go back to talking about Harlan Ellison now? <laughs> sure. Okay. I'm doing a Dylan. I guess. Hey, All now right. you know how it's difficult that... to podcast with you. <laughs> I'm a joy to podcast with. <laughs> I'm going to drink some water. Hang on a second. Finish up your drink so we can get a refill. Mm. Yeah, okay. Um, so Har- Harlan Ellison did a great interview with Charlie Rose back in like the... 70s or something you can find it on youtube it's like 45 minutes long and it's incredible and it gives you an amazing insight into who he was Mm -hmm. um and harlan ellison is well was well known uh for being very um combative like he was always picking a fight with people and uh one of the people who uh like in the days after he died uh another author that i follow named warren ellis uh, tweeted his like only experience with Harlan Ellison, which was uh, Warren Ellis asked him like, "Why are you always picking fights with people?" 
uh, over like every little thing. And Harlan's reply was, um, you can't let the bastards get away with it. (laughs) And going back and in the interview with Charlie Rose, you see like Harlan tells the story of where that attitude came from. Mm-hmm. And it uh, involves some racial and ethnic slurs. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it, it happened in his childhood. Yeah. And he was... Excuse me. Cardiac episode. Hang on. Okay, I'm good. Um, yeah, he was bullied in high school. Or grade school, honestly. And uh, that, at the very least, is the first real manifestation of it. He probably had that personality trait forever. Uh, but yeah, Harlan Ellison was a man who loved writing and probably nothing else. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of a good distillation of who he was. And you can honor his writing as much as you want or not. There we go. Yep. Uh, let's refill. Refill time. <laughs> drink more drink sure yeah yes i have a manhattan now yay Yay. two parts uh whiskey one part vermouth dash of bitters and all delicious stir that up or shake it if you want i don't know traditionally it's stirred well there we go yep uh all right so we're back and i asked very very nicely and echo's gonna let me tell my netrunner story yep so i Let's see. It was uh, July 4th. I bought my last Netrunner expansion. Okay, so anyway. Back to books! <laughs> Dylan, your face right now. It's so good. I'm glad. Dylan. At least someone can enjoy Dylan, it. your face. So I bought my last Netrunner expansion. Uh, it was uh, Rain and Reverie, which is uh, their, their last uh, basically medium-sized box expansion. It has cards for every single faction in it, and it was supposed to essentially reset the meta of the game and turn and help turn Netrunner back into a healthy card game again. Yep. Uh, and then they, we found out that the license wasn't being renewed and the game was going away. No. Yeah, sad. Um, and I don't know why, but I wasn't expecting to feel this when I was opening up, but I was getting a little sad going through the cards because I realized that I wasn't going to buy any Netrunner ever again. Dylan, you're such a sensitive boy. I know. For those of you who are listening at home, those are Ritz crackers. I am trying to discreetly get four crackers. Good work. No one uh, knew. Nobody knew what I was doing. Oh, that's good. Yeah, look at that waveform. (laughs) That's good. Yep, right there. There it is. There's some more. You know what? I see those little spikes. You can eat my butthole. Okay. Uh, Anyway, I'm sad. I was still a little, little bit bummed just because this amazing game that I really respected and I thought and like embodied so many amazing uh, principles of design and diversity and all of this, all of this important stuff is gone, or it will be gone. Um, Fantasy Flight did announce that uh, they're going to be releasing like another run of Rain and Reverie because it was it like sold out instantly when they announced it and they announced that the game was going away. Everyone was just like, "What? I need it." Uh, so, 
they're going to release that again if you want to if you guys want to try and pick it up. I know uh, some of you watched the Twitch stream and watched us play Netrunner and were interested. Uh, get the course set and get Rain and Reverie and you'll mm-hmm. be... Uh, course it. Yeah. Uh, and you'll be uh, good to go there. Uh, if you still can. You know. Because it'll be hard. It'll be yeah, I know. It's a throwback joke. Uh, I don't think Rain and Reverie is going to appear on Amazon. Oh, really? Yeah, that was sort of a deci- decision that I think Fantasy Flight made. Uh, so it's going to be like in-store or nothing? Pretty much. Or directly off their website. But I oh. don't... I think it like sells out on their website really, really quick. So yeah. uh, you're better off probably just pre-ordering it in stores uh, mm-hmm. for a store or something like that I, I reserved it at two places i got it at the second one uh the first one said yeah we'll reserve it for you but there's like 30 people in, fr- in line in front of you and also no we don't have any netrunner other netrunner packs anywhere because we've <laughs> sold them all wow. um the other place was just like yeah we'll take your reservation sure and they're cool. like and i was like oh okay thank you and then they called me july 3rd i was like yeah it's in and i was like it's five o'clock. I can't get down there. <laughs> so uh, we were on Capitol Hill in Seattle, and uh, this the game shop is uh, Phoenix Games and Comics. Phoenix Comics and Games. Uh, it's on Broadway. It's right next to the Dick's Drive-In. Heck yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a great spot. And so if you're local, throw them a little support. Yeah, go to Phoenix. Get some. Get some. Get a bag of dicks and go. Uh, go play some games. A greasy bag of dicks. Yeah. What? <clears throat> What's that? It sounds like you have something in your mouth. Don't judge me. I'm not happy about that joke. That gave me no pleasure to make that joke. Gave me pleasure. Mm. <laughs> your face again. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was that was all I really wanted to talk about. I now have the uh, entire uh, Kitara cycle. Like those. Do you have every expansion? No, not even close. There's tons that because like there were there were years when I just wasn't playing the game or interested in playing the game. Right. Um, I just wasn't sure. Yeah. No, I grabbed something of pretty much everything since the since uh, I stopped paying attention. Uh, there were the there was the uh, Mumbad cycle, the Flashpoint cycle, the red sands cycle i think that or the one that takes place on mars mm-hmm. and then uh, i think they went into kitara which was the last one so you kind of just got like a sampling of each yeah well i mean that's the that's that paints me as sort of like an intelligent person what i did was i just went to game shops and ransacked their netrunner boosters <laughs> uh and just grabbed everything that i didn't already own mm-hmm. uh and i was like oh these look good do you have any others and they're like no 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 those are those are all of them excellent here's my credit card <laughs> Uh, there was actually one place I went to uh, where I grabbed, the, I, they had the, the regular core set uh, <laughs> on the shelf, which I already own. I didn't need that. Uh, but they had all these, like, they had, like, uh, they have eight expansions, which was the most I'd found. And I was like, oh, crap. So I went through each of them and I was like, yes, 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 yes. And I was like, just grab them and just slide them all off of the little peg and put them in my bag. Uh, and then I get in line and as the... Uh, as the clerk is ringing them up, I'm like, hey, do you have, um, like, I, I noticed they have a back room. And I'm like, do you have any, do you have, like, the the revised corset? And he, he's like, he, he sort of, he, he actually just, like, he actually pauses for a second and, and hesitates. And he's like, yeah, we do. <laughs> I, and uh, he's like, yeah, hang on. And he goes back, he's back there for a couple minutes. I'm just like, cool, I get that, too. I'm just waiting, chilling, and he comes back out, and he, he rings it out, too, and he's like, yeah, we didn't put it out there because we wanted people to buy the original one before we started selling the new one, but because you asked for it, I 
I picked it up for you. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you're a fan too. I get it. <laughs> you're a nerd. Um, so yeah, that's how I that that's how I got my major haul. And then um, that that run got me half of the Kitara cycle, which is I really wanted that one because it was their final yeah. cycle, and it was also specifically designed to kind of revitalize the meta. Yeah. So if you guys can only purchase a few expansions, go for the Kitara cycle and go for Rain and Reverie, because those represent kind of the um, final form of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got half of it there, and then I was able to um, find the other half. And get it off of Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So success. Treasure hunt. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. And uh, but a little bit of a bittersweet treasure hunt because now I, I'm never going to get to do that again. And if the game comes back, it's probably going to be a Wizards of the Coast property, which means it's um, it's going to be um, a trading card game. I think you mean uh, Mages of the Beach. Yeah. Warlocks of the. Whatever. <laughs> Watsy. Anywho, trying to kill that dead air. There's a lot of there's a lot of flat line right there. Um, I realize that's like microseconds. Yeah, that's true. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. If 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 Netrunner comes back, it's going to be a Wizards property, which means it'll probably be a trading card game, uh-huh. and I want no part of that. I do not like trading card games. Like Magic, okay. Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon. All those games. So why don't you tell me this? Sure. What distinguishes Netrunner from a standard trading card game? So standard trading card games, uh, there are basically two. You basically buy the cards in three forms, I guess. You buy decks, pre-made decks. You buy boosters, which is what everybody does. Mm -hmm. And you can buy individual cards if you go to, you know, game shops. And they want to do that. Um, A lot of places don't, I think. I don't actually know. Because I don't give a shit about that anymore. In my high school days, when I played Yu-Gi-Oh, like a oh. hip young person, actually that might have been like my grade school days. Anyhow, uh, yeah, at me about that, whatever. I don't give a shit. Um, yeah, like I, I, I saw it, and I the reason I stopped playing Yu-Gi-Oh uh, was that I didn't have good enough luck with boosters because mm-hmm. that's what basically that's the cheapest way to acquire cards that just aren't that aren't in the deck because you can't really play with just the pre-made decks you have to buy additional cards to augment your deck and make it more efficient better at what you want it to do and customize it to your play style exactly um in a trading card game though you get a random pack of cards that's the booster got it um you usually get a rare one but you have no control over the cards that you're going to buy um, and that, I think, is a fundamentally broken game concept. It's very lucrative. Mm-hmm. It basically props up Wizards of the Coast. Like, that and D&D is the reason they're still in business, no matter what other games they're ever going to make. Um, but it rewards players that can spend $100 on boosters. Okay. Or $1,000 on exactly the rare cards that they want. Okay. It basically means that unless you have rich parents, you're not going to play that, you're not going to be able to win that game. If you want to play competitively. Okay. Now let's move on to... Netrunner. The difference. Uh, Netrunner is a living card game, which means that basically... Like the, the way that I always distinguished that was that instead of buying randomized boosters, you buy data what, what they call data packs, which are boxes, like little packets of cards, about 60, I think, or something like that. Uh, 30 runner, 30 corporation, on average, sometimes more or less. Um, but every data pack has the same cards in it. 
and these packs are released in cycles, usually I think around six to a cycle. Okay. And that cycle is a set number, a set card. It's um, specific cards in that cycle. You're not going to get um, cards from the Kitara cycle in a uh, Mumbad cycle pack. Uh, it means that you can tailor make your deck and only buy the specific packs that you need because you will like those those card lists are published and they didn't do this initially because they didn't have the idea but then some genius and I'm not being hyperbolic some genius at fantasy flight games decided to put a QR code on the back of their data packs that you can scan in the store I remember you telling and me about see this. the cards in the pack you can do that for the revised core set. You can do that for um, some of the deluxe expansions. I don't know how many. You can do that for all of the later expansions that they do. And it like when I realized that they did that, my head exploded. <laughs> I was floored. I was like, that is an amazing idea, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Like it's my favorite thing. It was one of my favorite things about the game. It's super nice to know that you're not wasting your money on cards that you can't use. Yeah, and you can build your deck specifically around the card that you need and then go out and buy the card you need. Yeah. And it doesn't cost you a thousand a thousand dollars. It costs you 15 because mm-hmm. that's the price of the data pack. There's also no built-in rarity in those in the game. Every card is as rare as any other. You get three copies usually in per pack. If you get fewer than three copies, it'll be because uh, there's a built-in limit to the number of copies you can have in the in a deck. It's like limit one per deck. You can't, right. they, they're not going to give you three copies of that card. Um, so yeah, that's that's the difference. That's the reason that I love the fantasy fantasy flight games so much, and all of, they they do multiple card games like that, and all of them are like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they all have the QR code support, but all of them, all of their little pack expansions are like that. Cool. Yeah. So that is my Netrunner story. I'm done with Netrunner. Let's talk about some books some more. Mm-hmm. Unless you wanted to talk about Netrunner some more. I enjoyed playing Netrunner. And we should play some more. Yep. We still we we keep meaning to. You need to be in town. On some weekend. Okay. You were camping. I camp. I, I, I do. I travel a lot. I'm very rich. I'm a jet setter. <laughs> in your, uh... What are the cars you... Uh... My mind palace? No. Oh. The cars that you really like? My Tesla? Your Tesla. Shut up. In your I Tesla. Like te- I don't like Tesla anymore. This if, good... Yeah, I'm, if I start I'm talking about that, you. we're not going to go back to books. Let's okay. go back to books. That's so much more interesting than I decided than Tesla. I was going to grab the Fox Woman. Yes. And read a small excerpt for Do you. Do eat. Because everybody should have some of this book in your earballs. Mm. Again, this That's book is called one. The Fox Woman by Keij Johnson. K I J Johnson. Exactly how you would expect that to be spelled. Yes. Um. So, Grandfather and I hid all day the humans came, deep in the lake rushes, where we could watch and not be seen. I suppose, thinking about it, now that there were so many people, fifteen, twenty, but they seemed to be everywhere, more than I'd ever seen before, more than I had imagined could exist. Men in servants' clothes scrambled around the garden, on the roofs, and along the walkways. They carried chests and bundles into the wings. And the noise! Now I have been a woman and discovered that people are always moving around in cloud of noises. But then it was all new. Feet thudded across the floorboards like padded sticks striking a wooden drum. Mallets pounded pegs in place. Wood splintered as sharp... Excuse me. Wood splintered as broken screens were whipped, ripped free. 
A twig broom made a sharp scratching noise as someone swept the floors. The humans themselves barked back and forth continually. I startled every time the humans dropped something or made a sudden loud sound. I could only imagine how it must sound to my brother and mother, trapped in the den beneath the buildings. How will we live? I whispered to my grandfather after one of these crashes, if it is to be like this from now on. This is their moving day, he said grimly. The servants will organize everything for their master and mistress, and they'll all go back to the stable yard, and things will be quieter and safer then. But it will never be as re we remembered, no. Be still now. It was dusk when my grandfather finally touched his nose to mine. Home, he told me as I blinked and stretched. He vanished into the reeds. I followed the tip of my grandfather's tail, glowing dim violet in the twilight, flickering like marsh gas just in front of my nose. We moved in a great arc through the weeds and ran silently under the narrow clearing that surrounded the house into the darkness under the veranda. Lovely. Bam. Bam. Yeah, that's a great book. So good. So good. So the book that I wanted to talk about, if it's okay, is... Sure. I've, I've talked about it before. Uh-huh. Uh, it's Grace of Kings mm. by Ken Liu. Uh, K-E-N-L-I-U. You almost met him. I did almost meet him. Yeah, he was at uh, he was a guest of honor at the NorwestCon that we attended, and I was too shy. Too shy. I went to several of his panels, though. Cool. Uh, all right, so yeah, this is from the, uh, the beginning of the book. Okay. This is uh, literally chapter one. Mm. An assassin. <laughs> Zudi, the seventh month of the 14th year of the reign of one bright heaven. A white bird hung still in the clear western sky and flapped its wings sporadically. Perhaps it was a raptor that had left its nest on one of the soaring peaks of the Ermey Mountains a few miles away in search of prey. But this was not a good day for hunting, a raptor's usual domain. This sun-parched section of the Porin Plains had, taken, had been taken over by people. Thousands of spectators had lined both sides of the wide road out of Zudi. They paid the bird no attention. They were here for the imperial procession. They gasped in awe as a fleet of giant imperial airships passed overhead, shifting gracefully from one elegant formation to another. They had gawped in respectful silence as the heavy battle carts rolled before them, thick bundles of ox sinew draping from the stone-throwing arms. They had praised the emperor's foresight and generosity as his engineers sprayed the crowd with perfumed water from ice wagons, cool and refreshing in the hot sun and dusty air of northern Kukru. They clapped and cheered at the best dancers of the six the best dancers the six conquered Tiro states had to offer. Five hundred Fasa, Fasa maidens who gyrated seductively in the veil dance, a sight once reserved for the royal court of Boama. Four hundred Kokruth sword twirlers who spun their blades in bright chrysanthemums of cold light that melded martial glory with lyrical grace. Dozens of elegant stately elephants from wild, sparsely settled Ekofi Island painted with the colors of the seven states. The largest male draped in the white flag of Zana, as one would expect, while the others wore the rainbow colors of the conquered lands. 
the elephants pulled a moving platform on which stood 200 of the best singers of all the islands of Dara, a choir whose existence would have been impossible before the Zana conquest. They sang a new song, a composition by the great imperial scholar Lugo Krupo, to celebrate the occasion of the imperial tour of the islands. To the north, fruitful fossa, green as the eyes of kind Rufizo, pastures ever kissed by sweet rain, craggy highlands, shrouded mists, shrouded in mist. Soldiers walking next to the moving platform tossed trinkets into the crowd, Zana-style decorative knots made with bits of colorful string to represent the seven states. The shapes of the knots were meant to evoke the logograms for prof logograms of prosperity and luck. Spectators scrambled and fought one another to catch a memento of this exciting day. To the south, castled Kokru, fields of sorghum and rice, both pale and dark, red for martial glory, white like proud Rapa, black as mournful Kana. The crowd cheered especially loudly after this verse about their homeland. To the west, alluring Amu, the jewel of Tudutika, luminous elegance, filigreed cities surround two blue lakes. To the east, gleaming Gan, where Tazu's trades and gambles glitter, wealthy as the sea's bounty, cultured like the scholar's layered gray robes. Walking behind the singers, other soldiers held up long silk banners embroidered with elaborate scenes of beauty and wonder of the seven states. Moonlight glinting from snow-capped Mount Kiji. Schools of fish sparkling in Lake, Lake Tudutika at sunrise. Breaching crubins and whales sighted off the shores of Wolf's Paw. Joyous crowds lining the wide streets of Pan, the capital. Serious scholars debating policy in front of the wise, all-knowing emperor. To the northwest is high-minded Han, the forum of philosophy, tracing the torturous paths of gods on Lutho's yellow shell. In the middle, wing-wooded Rima, where sunlight pierces ancient forest, forest to dapple the ground, as sharp as Fithuweo's black sword. Between each verse, the crowd bellowed out the chorus along with the singers. We bow down, bow down, bow down to Zana, Zenith, ruler of air. Why resist, why persist against Lord Kiji in strife that we can't bear? Yeah, I think that's pretty good. That's literally the first thing you read in that book. So this seems like they have a very strong, I don't want to say national, but like... So they they reference the conquest, right? Okay. So one of the things if 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 none of if a lot of those words didn't make sense to you, that's okay. It's not supposed to. Mm -hmm. Those are the first three or four pages of the book. Um, basically, what's happening is the emperor, um, and they, they they I love the way that he talks about it because it's never like explicitly stated what happens in those passages. You learn it later, um, but you can intuit everything that happens so they mention uh an emperor an emperor of zana mm -hmm. uh, they mention seven other states and they mention the zana conquest so essentially what's happening is that that's a military parade the emperor of zana the emperor uh actually the emperor of dara which is the name of the whole region yeah uh is parading his the splendor of his new empire in front of his conquered peoples mm -hmm. and he is trying to instill fervor and loyalty to him okay that's what i was feeling yeah like, this was feel i didn't want to say nationalist but yeah like... nationalism isn't quite the right word yeah but loyalty mm -hmm. loyalty and uh submission yeah i just conquered you learn these words mm -hmm. 
commit them to heart. Here's this lovely song about or how I'm we're better than you. you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so uh, Grace of Kings is a 600-page epic about the foundation of uh, this, imperi- this imperial state and uh, what happens after. Uh, it follows a lot of characters, uh, particularly Mata Zindu and um, it has a glossary of characters in the beginning. Hang on, as I flip through it. Sorry, wait, hold on, wait, hold on. I believe in you. Hang on, hold on. Uh, Kunigaru is the other character. Hey. Uh, Mata Zindu is sort of a, a, a disenfranchised noble. He's been stripped of his lands and titles and he's trying to get them back. And Kunigaru is essentially a peasant who's uh, fam- whose parents are farmers, and uh, he is basically just trying to make a name for himself. He's trying okay. to better better his station in life, mm-hmm. uh, and it's all about their their friendship and the other people that they meet mm-hmm. in the, the aftermath of the Zana Empire. And it's amazing, like um, the way that I heard about it. I think I've told this before, but yeah. whatever. Uh, it's been a while since I talked about Grace of Kings. Um, I heard about it from Joseph Fink, the founder of the Night vale Pod, or one of the founders of the Night vale Podcast. And uh, he talked about how it was so crisp and so efficient. Like, he talks about how, like, he, he compares it to Game of Thrones because they're very similar stories. And he says how um, if, the re- if Ken Liu, the author of Grace of Kings, had been writing game of thrones the red wedding would have happened in chapter four and like six other important things would have also happened uh before the chapter was over Mm -hmm. like there is at least like if if grace of king if i were to compress having read all the game of thrones books i would say that about i'd say about three books worth of content for three books three game of thrones books could fit inside of the time period talked about in grace of kings probably more because game of thrones doesn't actually cover that much time so Mm -hmm. far only about four or five years uh grace of kings covers several decades in much much less pages (laughs) and words and uh i find it much more interesting than grace than uh, game of thrones Mm -hmm. to be honest yeah i've never actually read game of thrones or had any interest because there's like 20 books yeah, fair, fine. Yeah, basically. But I hear they're a big deal. I hear they are also. I also hear they are a big deal. <laughs> Frankly, Grace of Kings deserves to be as as big a deal as Game of Thrones. Can I tell you how I found this other book? Yeah, Little Paris Bookshop. Did you find it in a little bookshop in Paris? I did not. Oh. Well, it's totally poetic. random. Yeah. I was at the food court mm-hmm. in Whole Foods. Hmm. Hanging out with my kiddo. Yup, yup. And a lady kind of leaned over and was like, I love how you interact with your kid and blah, blah, blah. And so we get to talking and she tells me, I want you to have a little, I want to tell you about this book because I feel like you need it in your life. And I'm like, okay. And she says, I really want you to read the Little Paris Bookshop. You should read that. And, like, it's about a guy who has a book barge. And he sells books based on your, like, needs. Like, he just chats with you. And then he tells you, you need to read this book. So he calls it the Literary Apothecary. Yeah. Yes. Which I 
absolutely love. I, I didn't finish the book, but I, I got a good chunk into it and I loved every word. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm just like, yeah, sure, whatever. I go and eventually I look up this book and I start reading it. And it's so good. I literally have a quote from the book tattooed on my arm. It was yeah. exactly what I needed when I read it. And it was not my usual shtick, but so good. I wish that we could read like the entire first chapter. Because the, yeah. the first chapter is one of the most beautiful things I've ever read. And I, I, I know that we just talked, we spent the first half of this podcast talking about how poorly read I am. And I am. But... Uh, yeah, it's incredible. Like, it's just, it's it's musical. We are going, going to be reading to, from... I'm going to read a quick thing. I was going to read more, but I think I'm going to skim it down. Yeah. Purdue... For, this is from chapter six. Purdue asked the customer, whose name was Anna, a few questions. Job, morning routine, her favorite animal as a child, nightmares she'd had in the past few years, the most recent books she'd read, and whether her mother had told her how to dress. Personal questions, but not too personal. He had to ask these questions and then remain absolutely silent. Listening in silence was essential to making a comprehensive scan of a person's soul. Anna worked in television advertising, and she told him, in an agency with guys past their sell-by date, who's mis- who mistake women for a cross between an espresso machine and a sofa. Oof. She set three alarm clocks alarm clocks every morning to drag her out of a brutally deep sleep and took a hot shower to get warm for the coldness of the day to come. As a child, she'd taken to, she'd taken a liking to the slow loris, a provocatively lazy spe- species of animal... Let me stop. <laughs> provocatively lazy species of small monkey with a permanently moist nose. During childhood, Anna most liked wearing short red lederhosen to her mother's horror. She often dreamed of sinking into quicksand in front of an Im- in front of important men, dressed only in her undershirt, and all of them, every last one, were tearing at her shirt, but none would ever help her out of the pit. The end. Of the passage. The pass. The book goes on for several hundred more pages. Yes. That's all I'm reading to you tonight. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I love the I love both of the books that you that you talked about, and I wish that my attention span were better so that I could read them all very fast as you. Do. Or at least that they were on audiobook. I can we can probably find an audiobook of them, but I would also like to actually read books again. Mm-hmm. I just kind of missed that. I don't actually like audiobooks. It's really weird because I enjoy yeah. listening to podcasts. Yeah. But for some reason, if it's meant to be something that I have to like absorb, just not my jam. Yeah, I, I love audiobooks because I can do other things while I'm listening to them. I usually can't. usually video games. If I'm playing a video game, there's no way I can really listen to what is going on in yeah, my ears. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, the other book that I was going to talk about was Neil Gaiman's uh, Norse mythology thing. But uh, y'all probably know about that already because Neil Gaiman is a superstar and it's the most recent book that he published. And it'll probably take you forever. To get through? To read. Oh, yeah. An excerpt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but you should all go read that. But you should probably, I, I would say, get Grace of Kings first because Ken Liu is a less well-known writer. And you should give less known well less well-known writers their love. If you're choosing between uh, Norse mythology and Grace of Kings. Hey. If you're choosing between the four books that we've talked about on this podcast tonight, I would say go with any of Echoes. 
Honestly. Like, no. Yeah, honestly. And part of it is because they're both by uh, women authors. And I think it's important to expand your horizons because I have a sneaking suspicion that, like myself, most of our listeners probably are have been reared on uh, male writers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, on that note, I think that's a pretty good place to Yeah, it wrap really it up. is. Yeah. Go read some books, you guys. Read some books. Read some books and play some Netrunner. I'm going to wait. Preferably at the same time. No, I'm Uh-oh. I'm not what? gonna do. I will su- sample in a little song. Later. A song, a sing song, a singy song. Okay, but it's gonna go. It's gonna start right now. Yep. So thank you so much for tuning in. Okay, wait, no, it's gonna start right now. Oh, that's a really good song. Echo. I'm gonna play really the whole like song. That. It's oh. gonna be playing in the background. Um, well, this doesn't make any sense. So if you like what we're doing, please support us on Patreon. We are at uh, patreon.com slash happy hour heroes. No. What? Yes. No. Happy hero pod. There we go. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about sometimes. Happy hero pod. Happy hero pod. And uh, facebook.com slash ha- uh, happy hero pod. And Twitter. Twitter. At, at happy hero pod. Yes. Those are the three main ways that you can get in touch with us. Uh yeah, we have some rewards on there, little ones, and uh, we will we we then appreciate all of you, all of the support that you guys give. Yes, us. Yes, thank you so much. Without you, we wouldn't be here. All right, everyone, enjoy your uh, enjoy your month listening to us over and over again. You may now uh, remove your earbuds. 